Hey, everybody. Good morning. Good to see you. We are plugging through um, a book of the Bible called the Book of Luke. Um, so if you have a Bible, turn with me there to the Book of Luke. While you're turning, I got a text yesterday from a friend in the church that uh, uh, had just finished watching the Tennessee-Florida game. I'm a Tennessee volunteer fan, and so he asked if I was sad, and I said, yes, I will be preaching a new sermon on suffering today. And so, actually not. No, we're just going to plug through the book of Luke here. Um, but as we dive through, for those of you who are guests with us, we just take a book of the Bible and we work through it. And so we're halfway through the book of Luke, and we allow what God's Word says to kind of shape where we go. So um, where we are today is uh, last week we preached on fear, because that's what Jesus, Jesus taught us in Luke 12, 22 through 34, and now today we are going to be focusing in on verses 35 through 59. So Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 59. I'm just going to read the first little portion as it sets the table for where we're headed, and then we will, uh, I'll pray and we'll begin. So I want to read verses 34 through 40. Verses 34 through 40 of Luke chapter 12. God's word says this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would be the hero of this moment, that you would get the glory that you alone deserve. Father, there is no evil in you. There is no bad in you. You are only good, only justice, only mercy, only love. And so, Father, it is you that I pray that we will behold today. Father, I ask in your mighty name that I would decrease and you would increase. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. I pray that you would take us who are proud and you would humble us and you would take the discouraged and you would encourage them. You would take the lonely and remind them of your presence. And would you speak the truth that all are valuable. All are valuable. Because Christ has died that anyone who would trust in him can be changed. And so, Father, please, I pray, as we... Gather in this time to hear from your word. Teach us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. 
I think probably everybody in the room has played the game hide-and-seek. If you haven't, you've seen someone who has. And so you know how it rolls. There's a person who is counting, and the others go and hide, okay? So when the person is finished counting, what does that person say? Ready or not, here I come. Okay, that happens all over the place. I found a picture of a couple of animals that were trying to play this. The cow is the one saying, ready or not. The giraffe is hiding like my children used to hide in plain sight. And so now the giraffe says he's ready to be found. There are a lot of fun ways to experience this kind of ready or not motif, but there are also some things that it's, it's fearful when you hear ready or not, I'm coming, like this one here. If a whale does a trust fall on top of you, he's saying, ready or not, here I come, and you don't want to be in that boat. And so, ready or not, here I come can either be filled with excitement, or it can be filled with some fear, or it can be filled with a little bit of both. Any of you who have um, tried to uh, give birth to a child, and they say, ready or not, the child is coming, at that moment, it is this wonderful mixture of terror and excitement. And you're not sure which is which, but you know you've got to be ready because it's going to happen. This is what Jesus is telling us today. These words, ready or not, I am coming, but I want you to be ready. I don't know about you, but whenever I've heard people say he's coming, Many times it's been accompanied with this sense of angry God kind of saying, I wish you'd get your act together because when I come, boy, I'm coming. And he's got like this, you know, he's just, he's, I'm coming. And what you get a sense of here in the scriptures is not that picture. You get a sense of a father who is saying, I want you to be ready. I'm giving you all this information. Ready or not, I'm coming. For those of you who are ready, it will be bliss and joy like you've never known. For those who are not ready, it will be a tragedy that is unparalleled. It will be an eternity apart from God. And he says, ready or not, I'm coming, but I want you to be ready. So, the sermon is shaped around those two words. Ready? Or the phrase, or not. The whole first section is, what is readiness? Readiness for what? And what does it look like to be ready? And then the second section is, or not. What does not readiness mean? And what are the consequences of not being ready? So that's where we're headed. So let's dive in. Uh, ready or not, we're rolling. Verse 35. He says... Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. There is this sense right out of the gate that we've got to be ready for something. Now let's remember where we were last week. For those of you who weren't there, uh, let me give you an on-ramp onto where we're headed. And that is, Jesus was teaching us about fear. He was teaching us to fear the Lord because weirdly and uniquely, the fear of the Lord is different than every other fear. The fear of the Lord actually draws you into peace and into His presence. The fear of the Lord attracts you and pulls you towards God where the fear of everything else leaves you running scared. 
And so he is inviting you out of a life of terror and a life of just trying to find acceptance and security and all these other things that will let you down and they will leave you afraid. And he says, no, fear me. And if you fear me, it will usher you into my presence. It will usher you into peace and joy like you've never known. Fear the Lord. But he is now saying, those of you who fear me, be dressed and ready for action. Keep your lamps burning. And it says, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. And verse 37 says this, the blessed one, that is the one who's not afraid, the one who has found peace and joy in the Lord, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. And what's he doing? He's given us a physical image to teach us spiritual lessons. The physical image is, if you're a servant of this master and he's coming home from a wedding feast, your whole job is to be ready when he comes in. So don't be asleep. Now, spiritually speaking, he's saying, Jesus is going to return. He's going to come again. Don't spiritually be asleep. He's not trying to teach the lesson that sleep is bad and you need to not fall asleep. Actually, the Bible says the opposite. He grants sleep to those he loves. Some of us are disobedient because we're not stopping to sleep, burning the candle at both ends, trying to be God when only he is the one that neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's not telling us to stop sleeping. He's telling us to spiritually be awake, be alert, be on the ready for Jesus to come again. He says, truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. All throughout the Old Testament, this image of reclining at table is a foreshadowing of the end times feast that we will have with God himself. When there will be a spread and he will serve us and we will be in his presence forever and ever. And you might ask, some of you skeptics, how do we know this to be true? It sounds a little out there. Well, we know this to be true because God has already made some out there claims that have already been verified. He said, my son will come and he will live a perfect life and he will die in the place of sinners. And three days later, he will rise from the dead. And every one of those promises proved true. And so now we know God's word proves true. And when he says, I will come again, there is a certainty that God keeps his promises. His word is sure. And so, he is pushing on us to be ready. Verse 38, if he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. What's the second or third watch? There's a little debate on whether he's going to be counting by the Jewish calendar or by the Greek way of understanding these things. But nonetheless, you can be safe. The second watch is between 10 p.m. and around 2 a.m. And the third watch is around 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So if you follow the logic, it is be ready at a time when it is unexpected, right? Normally, you're sleeping during those times. He's saying the readiness for Jesus' return is a readiness that should be ready 
when it is even unexpected. And how do I know that I'm on firm footing by saying he's wanting us to be ready for the return of Jesus? Verse 40 summarizes this whole section for us, and he says this, You must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So the lesson is clear. Jesus not only came the first time to deal with sin on a cross and was raised from the dead three days later, He will come again. And at that second coming, it will be a clear judgment. Those who are ready will be with Him forever, and those who are not will be away from Him forever. Jesus says, I want you ready. So, what is spiritual readiness? What is readiness? Well, at the core, I think it could be summarized by maybe these two phrases. Surrendered faith, and surrendered love. Just back it up, and it's just like, God, I trust you. I don't understand everything, but I trust you. And Jesus, I love you. And I want to follow you wherever you lead. It's not saying that you know everything. It's not saying that you can do everything. It's not saying that you're perfect. It's saying, Father, I trust you, and I love you, and I want to go wherever you lead me to go. This is the core of what readiness means on that last day. You will be accepted by faith alone. But as James teaches us later on in the New Testament, salvation by faith alone never stays alone. Because it says faith without works is what? Dead. Which means if the tree is alive, it will produce the fruit of love fruit of justice, the fruit of mercy, self-control, goodness, faithfulness, joy and peace, all these things. And so, what we have is at the core of this readiness is Jesus, I love you, I trust you, I don't get everything, good news, you don't have to, but I want to follow you wherever you lead. But that kind of surrender will produce a fruit, which is why Jesus says later on in verse 41, 42, and 43, he says this. So Peter says, Lord, are you telling us this story for us or for everyone? And Jesus doesn't answer the question. Why does he not answer the question? Is he just being rude? You know, rude. He is not being rude. What is going on? He is saying... Peter, I don't want you to lose the fact that this is for you. And reader, I don't want you to lose the fact that this is for you. And if he were to say it's for everyone, Peter might be tempted to think about somebody else to apply it. And if he says that it's for Peter, we would be tempted to think that was just for him. So instead, he tells us the point, verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying that there's a sense of faithfulness where you're going to be disseminating out things at the proper time, giving out good gifts. He says, verse 43, Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Punchline? Readiness 
is faith alone in Christ, but it is also in some sense of doing, some sense of doing faithful things, loving your neighbor. And so I think for us to understand our spiritual readiness, we need to look at some physical readiness, okay? Now, let's start with this. When I first got married, now almost 20 years ago, my wife and I struggled to understand what this phrase meant. She understood it, but I didn't. And that was, she would ask me, are you ready? Now, to me, that meant I'm generally wanting to go and I am getting things together and I'm on my way to being ready to walk out the door. For her, are you ready meant you are walking out the door and leading me to do so. Okay, so I'm, I'm really part of probably one of the sharpest ones in the room. It took me about seven years to figure out what she meant. I'm dull. And so I can't tell you how many tense arguments we had when she would say, are you ready? And I say, sure, yeah. And then five minutes later, I'm still nowhere to be found, still getting things together. So now I know when she says, are you ready? I either will answer yes, and I am walking out, or I will say, I need five more minutes. I'm getting things together. It only took me seven years to get there. It was a lot of pain to get to that point. What does it mean then to describe readiness? Readiness. Are you ready to walk out the door? Are you ready when Jesus comes again? Are you ready to see him face to face? Readiness is, Jesus, I want to be with you. And if you came right now before I finish this next sentence, I'm happy. I want to be with you. That's readiness. Take a physical example and lay it into a spiritual world. Our Savior will come again. Are you ready? Do you want to be with Him? Do we look forward to that day? Let's take another example. Preparing for a trip. In my family, as we've had to travel a lot over our years, and we divide our trip preparation into roles and categories. Because what we realize is if we didn't talk about it, then things get left and it just doesn't go very well. So, Dana, she helps get all the kids' stuff ready and ready for the suitcases. And I get my stuff ready and then I put them all in the suitcases. And then the morning of that we leave or the night before we leave, all the kids carry all the suitcases and everything down. And then I load them in because we've notoriously had a vehicle too small for all the things that we take. So it's like this game of Tetris and I'm working it all together and fitting it all in. And then I have to tell the kids, do not open the car until we get there because it will all fall out everywhere. So these are our roles and our kids are getting all their things for the car seats and for the car ride and all the games and things that they want and we're taking care of ourselves. That's just how it rolls. And then right before we leave, it's like, are all the lights out? Are the doors locked? You know, we're just working at this as a team. And then we say, are you ready? What does readiness mean there? Readiness means, it does not mean this. It does not mean I did all the things that my kids were supposed to do. It does not mean that I did all the things that my wife had agreed to do. It means that I knew my role 
And I fought to be faithful with my limited time and my limited abilities to do what I was supposed to do well. Readiness means not that you do it all, but that you know that you are a limited person. You only have a certain amount of knowledge and a certain amount of time and a certain amount of energy and that you know what God says is faithful day in and day out. And you seek to be faithful day in and day out. Now you're going to be imperfect. I can't tell you how many trips when somebody left their toothbrush and how many times we've left like pillows or we've left like children. No, just kidding. We haven't left any children. I've just seen if you're awake. Um, We haven't left any kids and that was a gift. But... There are times when we are imperfect. Readiness does not mean perfection, but it does mean fighting to be faithful, to understand our role, and to do what we are supposed to do. So when it comes to the readiness for the Lord to come again, it's readiness to say, I want my life to be used for you. I'm not going to try to be somebody else. I'm going to be who God has made me, and I'm going to seek to be an agent of His love and mercy and justice. No excuses. I want to be His faithful child. Let me give you another example. So Travis uh, just led a team to uh, Turkey, and he said that while they were there, they went to a church, and the pastor of that church spoke through a translator, and Travis said, what did that guy just say? And um, one of our workers who was translating said, he says he wants you to say something in a little bit. And Travis like, oh, okay, didn't come prepared for that, but we can do that. Two minutes later, he's on stage ready to speak. And he was like, oh, okay, wasn't ready for that, but he speaks and it went fine. I have some friends who travel to India regularly to do some church planting work and mercy orphan type work. And he says, and they would say as they go, they would literally speak 10 to 12 times a day and you would never know when or for how long. And so you'd just be riding in a vehicle and your driver would be like, pull over here. It's like, hey, you, want, you should share here. They want to hear from you. And all of a sudden, you just better be ready to talk. And so it's just like, are you ready? What does readiness mean in that moment? It means what Peter means when he says, are you ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you? Are you ready? Are you ready to just say, I love Jesus and he's changed my life? Are you ready? Readiness can also mean this, last example, husband and wife, one of them has been deployed for a year and a half, and the spouse finds out that that deployed spouse is coming home, It's coming home, and let's just say this is a healthy relationship, and there is anticipation, and there is joy, what does that readiness look like? Let's say they're going to drop him off or her off at the front door and the spouse is waiting for that moment. There'd be a sense of, I'm not going to fall asleep no matter how late it is. It'd be like, okay, I'm going to brush my teeth like every hour or so, just make sure I'm ready. You know, there's this sense of, I'm going to make sure that the bed is ready or the house is clean. I'm going to be ready. I'm on the alert. I'm anticipating in excitement. And Jesus says, be ready for when I come again. What does readiness mean there? It is. It is an anticipation and an excitement that the one you've been longing for is coming. So let's just summarize it all. Let's just pull it back. It's a, I want to be with you, Jesus, so I'm ready to walk out the door. It is, I want to be faithful with the life that you've given me and the limits you've given me to live for your name. It is, 
At any moment, I want to be able to speak a word that encourages people and shows off Jesus. A readiness means I'm excited. I'm in anticipation that Jesus is coming again. God gives us physical pictures to teach us spiritual realities. It is this readiness that he is saying, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, I ask you this question. So what do you want to be found doing when he comes again? And in part, it's a trick question. Because here's how most of us think. Well, man, if I thought he was coming today, like, you know, I'd be like praying or reading my Bible or out sharing the gospel or something like that. But I don't know about you, but my every day doesn't look like that. I go to work. I eat breakfast, lunch and dinner. I'm signing contracts. I'm having meetings. I'm making phone calls, texts and emails. I'm counseling. I'm hanging out with people. I'm taking my kids to basketball, I'm playing soccer with my youngest, I'm going on a date with my wife, or I'm dating my daughter and, take, and reading a book to her, whatever it is, this is life, right? 100 miles an hour. Is that spiritual? Is that readiness? Or is it not? Do I want to be found doing that when Jesus comes again? I think you do. I think you do. Here's what Jesus says about this question. Actually, it's Paul who speaks in Ephesians chapter 5, and he says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as loved children. Get this. What do you want to be found doing? You want to be found imitating God with your life, not in order to be loved, but out of already being loved, imitate your father. He's saying what is at the core of readiness is just a trust that you are a child and you are loved. Not built upon what you can do for God, but what he has already done for you. And because he loves you so unconditionally and accepts you so fully, then that life will want to imitate his father. And that's why Paul goes on to say, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. And here's a way to process those mundane, everyday details. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when Anything is exposed by the light. It becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, here's the punchline. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's telling you to be spiritually awake and experience the strength of Jesus in the everyday. That's why Jesus said in verse 34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's about where is your heart in the midst of the everyday activities, not making certain activities holier than others. I would argue that you washing the dishes in faithfulness to serve your family is as faithful as you being here. Each activity in its own time in its own way. That's why Jesus says, or Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink, 
Whatever you do, do what? That's right. Take the normal, everyday activities, eating and drinking, and do it, infuse it with the purpose of going after God. Everyday activities. And so now it's working in His strength, within my limits, not worshiping the money I make, but using it for His name, folding laundry, doing dishes, doing homework. Some of you need to understand your Savior better. And I mean this. Jesus went to weddings simply to enjoy the people. I don't know if you've read that passage in John chapter 2, but his mom says, hey, won't you turn this water into wine? And he says, That's not, it's not the right time. It's not what I'm here for. And she like hangs him out to dry and says, yeah, you go to him. He's going to fix all your wine problems. And he turns the water into wine. But why was he there then if he wasn't there to do a miracle? He was there to do what most people do at weddings, to celebrate, to hang out, to enjoy people. What about Jesus? He sat with friends. It says that he reclined at table. He rested and he had conversation with people. He slept on boat rides. He walked from city to city, stopping to teach lessons, to meet with people, or really just to walk. I don't know if you understand. We have months and months and months of unrecorded everyday life of Jesus. Jesus is human, fully human and fully God. And so fully human means he had to put his home in order. He had to clean his clothes. He had to use the bathroom. He ate food. He listened to friends. He engaged neighbors. He stared at birds. He looked at grass. He enjoyed creation. This is what our Savior did. And he did it all so that he would love his father more. And so that he could show off God, his father, to those that he was around. So what does it mean for you to be ready when it comes to really raw, everyday, normal life? It means to infuse it with a sense of, yes, seek him in prayer. Yes, love your neighbor. But like when you eat, we eat with thankfulness. We eat with a mind towards God. When you speak to others, you do it with the aim of encouraging and not making yourself look better. You drain yourself of bitterness. You seek peace. When the paycheck comes, you say, how am I able to say with this money, this is yours and not mine? And what about the great disruptor of readiness, social media? Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. You might think this is going to be a hobby horse where I get up and say, oh, that's bad, and that's not what I'm going to say. But I just want to tell you an example of me prepping for this sermon. So I'm working on it, and I have been focused in on it for quite a while, and I take a little break, and I look at Facebook to just see what's going on. And for 15 minutes, my brain goes this way, like that, okay? Just ended up sideways. And then all of a sudden, when the fog was shaking, I'm like, how did I get here? What just happened? All of these, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the point is not them themselves. The point is the heart. What are you doing with them? For some of us, if we were honest, what happens in our heart when we look at these things, it is jealousy. 
It's lusting after something you don't have or wanting somebody else's life or a license to just tell somebody off with no regard for their feelings at all. It's a lusting for people's lives or people's bodies or people's relationships or people's kids or possessions. That's what social media can be. But if it's something to promote readiness, then you just ask, how can I use it for him? How can I encourage? How can I show others just fun to be had as a follower of Jesus? How can I bless? How can I promote what God you love? Issues of justice and mercy. If Jesus were coming back right now, ask yourself, would you be embarrassed by that post you just sent out? Or what you just looked at for quite a long time? This is really Raw and practical, and that is Jesus is going to come again. Are we ready? Are we ready? And so if I may summarize it all, I think readiness looks like this. Readiness is a surrendered faith and a surrendered love that remembers Jesus. Remembers Jesus. Last week I talked about fear forgets. Fear forgets. It forgets that God is there. It forgets that he loves you. It forgets all kinds of things, and it just leaves you to try to control your own life. But faithfulness, readiness, remembers. And remembers in the scriptures is actually an image of worship. It is, I love you, God, and I want to set my mind upon you. I want you to be forever before me. So what does it look like to be ready? It is to say, God, you are here. You are near. You value me. You are doing good to me. And then remembering is also living in light of that last day. Some of you are holding on too tight to your own way or to even some bitterness towards somebody, maybe even in the room. Then if you were to put it up the grid of when I see Jesus face to face, is this really that big of a deal? all of a sudden it would be drained of all its importance. You're making small things huge and not living inside of that day when you will see Jesus face to face. And what will matter on that last day is who you love and how you've reflected Him. Don't you want it to be just, when you think about that last day, it's, it's like what excites me is I lived my life for the cause of justice. I lived my life merciful. Because I invested my life in this person, they're going to spend eternity with Jesus. These are the things that begin to matter when you frame the last day, let alone the fact of what's most important is I'm near to my Savior. This is living in light of the end. But not only remembering, it is remembering in His strength. What does it mean to do something in His strength? It is, I can't do this by myself. I need you. Insecure people have to tell people how good they are at something. The Christian language and lingo is the ability to say, I am needy and God did it. It's not being super spiritual. It's just fact. Were it not for God, I couldn't do this. And that applies to everything. Paul only boasted in what he did twice, and he said this at the end of both of them. He says, look at what has been accomplished through me, but not I, but the grace of God in me. So yeah, boast all day long about how God uses weak people like you and I. 
But at the end of the day, make sure Jesus is the hero. In his strength and for his fame. You're just asking yourself, this readiness motif is asking yourself, how can I live everyday life so that Jesus is seen as beautiful? Readiness remembers in his strength for his fame. Now the question is, what does it mean to not be ready? There's three types of people every time I get up to speak that are in this room. The first group, I've labeled imperfect children. I'm in that group. Nobody in here is perfect. And I'm a child by grace alone. God has saved me, not because I am good, but because he is good. And I am his child. It means that I want to follow him. Sometimes I live for myself. And I want to repent of that and turn from that. I have to apologize regularly to those that I've sinned against. But I have a bent and a desire to follow my Savior. And there are so many of you out here who are children. And you just need to celebrate the fact, imperfect though you are, you're a child by grace. But there are two other categories. One is a group that has professed faith in Jesus or think they are secure because of some outward religious acknowledgement. You might have even been baptized in the past. But deep down, you are not turning from sin. You are indifferent to God in certain areas of your life, if not totally in life. There's a hardness to your heart and you're running away from him. And he puts this passage before us to say, wake up, wake up and turn to me because I want you ready. I love you. And there's a third category. Those who are not followers of Jesus. And they find themselves interested. Yet unwilling to surrender. Some find themselves indifferent, and others are just flat out against God. Jesus says these coming up words to the last two groups. Not the imperfect child who's tempted to self-condemnation because they're not good enough, but to the ones that are hardened in sin, not willing to turn. He says this. Verse 45, he's contrasting the faithful servant with the unfaithful servant. If that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and eat and drink and get drunk, and the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating but a punishment nonetheless. Everyone to whom was given of him much will be required. From him to whom they entrusted much they will demand the more. 
These are not easy words to read. But punishment is coming towards those who are indifferent towards God. Indifferent to having your life aimed for the purposes of God. Indifferent to enjoying things for God rather than worshiping them as God. Indifferent to love and justice, but filled with selfishness and self-centeredness. Indifferent to kindness, but filled with rage. Lashing out with your mouth or with your fists. You are not ready, and you should have no confidence when He comes again. And I don't say that with an ounce of judgment at all, because were it not for the grace of God and the mercy of God to change my heart, I would not be ready either. And I lay out a message for you that says, Jesus wants you ready. He will come when you do not expect it. And the reason you should have no confidence in that day is because you're so self-consumed, self-indulgent, and self-reliant. You're too busy looking in the mirror than to have your mind set upon Christ and His fame. Are you ready is the question. This passage is meant to be shockingly disorienting for someone who is not used to hearing these kind of things or who is indifferent to sin. You think life is a party and it is about what you want when you want it, but in all actuality you are laying on an emergency room table and you have flatlined. And what you have tried to do is you've tried to take those shocking mechanisms and shock your heart. With substances, with relationships, with job, with career, with money. And all it has done is it has led to more flatlining. And Jesus says, you are flatlining and it's leading you to this very moment to ask, why are you here? And you are here for Jesus and for Jesus alone. In Him He will satisfy you. God is ready to shock you awake. Coasting is killing people. And he says, trust in me. These are pretty shocking words in verse 46. And they speak to the fact that punishment is coming. He says, there's a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know and the Savior will come and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. That it, what is that language? He's taking it from Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 18, when this is said, And the men, you could put the people, who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut into two and passed between its parts. Now, you and I don't deal with contracts or covenants this way anymore, but here's how it rolled back then. When you made an agreement with somebody, you would kill an animal cut it up into pieces and put some pieces on this side and on this side. And then you would walk between the pieces and you would say, if I break my end of the deal, may it be done to me what was done to this animal. And that's why it was so amazingly shocking in Genesis 15 when Abraham did that and he was getting ready to walk through and God basically pushes him aside and walks between the pieces for him and says, not only will I do my side of the covenant, but I will do your side as well because you will not be able to do it. And the only requirement of the people of God is that they admit they cannot do it and that they need a Savior who will do it for them. 
This is all that readiness requires. And the call right now is trust in Him. Love Him. Surrender your life. Stop trying to be good enough and then come. Surrender. And He loves you and He accepts you by faith alone. He'll work everything else out inside of you. But if you reject Him, it will be done to you what was done to that animal. It will be death. And it will not just be an annihilation. It will be a forever separation. A permanent weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible describes it. And it is nothing that I wish on anyone. My heart breaks. But it is justice. And you might say, but wait. What about my nice co-worker? What about that sweet old lady across the street? What did they really do to deserve that kind of punishment, forever banishment? It honestly just sounds mean. It just sounds mean. And I want you to know it's because we have a misunderstanding of humanity. Many of us think humanity is good. I had a lunch with somebody this week, and they said, I don't know about you, but I really believe humanity is good. And here is what we can say. Humanity is good in this sense, that they are made in the image of God, which means every person is valuable, made in His image, and we have the marks of God's beauty on us that we need relationships, that we want to protect, that we want to nurture, that we want justice, that we're incited about abuse and racism, that we hate murder and we're attracted to mercy and love. Those are all because we've all been made in the image of God. It's common to most of humanity. Really all of humanity, but some have suppressed it. But when we say human beings are not good, it's because we are not bent towards worshiping God, but only worshiping ourselves. That's how the Bible defines goodness, is are we bent towards God or bent towards ourselves? Humanity is not good. We are sinful, we are tainted with rebellion, we are selfish at every turn, Completely covered in sin. We are rebels and we slap and we hit and we spit against God with our indifference. This week I read an article about a man named Javier Hernandez. Javier Hernandez did not believe his life was special. And he was ready to commit suicide. And on a bridge... He was ready to kill himself. Police officer gets a call and says, there's a man on a bridge. Anybody near, come try to help him and rescue him. Officer Dane Norum was in the vicinity. And as he pulls up, a man who was standing, staring at the edge of a bridge with a fence in front of him, saw the cop car pulled up, and jumped onto the fence and started climbing and was going to jump to his death. Dane Norm, the officer, jumps out of the car and runs and grabs this man's leg and holds on with all of his might. But because he had one leg over the fence and one leg on this side of the fence, he didn't have the leverage to pull him down. So Javier Hernandez tried to keep jumping off. When he realized that the grip was too tight around his leg, something Shocking happened. Javier Hernandez pulls out a knife and begins to stab Dane Norm seven times. The reason I tell this graphic story is because what is remarkable, the officer didn't let go. 
He held on through all of those blows and did not let go. He held on and held on and pleaded with that man to not jump. And he held on and he held on and then other officers came and ended up subduing the man and pulling him back. And it was only then when the officer began to see that he had been hurt as badly as he had been hurt. And I share this story because this is how many times we treat a loving father. God speaks to us a beautiful gospel and tells us of his merciful love. And he says, I want you to be ready on that last day. You get the image of him just holding on to you and saying, do not turn away from me. Do not run. And we still we slap, we kick, we punch. We are the aggressors. And that officer's mercy ended up leading into the saved life. But here's the parallel. What will you do with God's mercy? What will you do with this call today? Will you surrender your life wholly to Jesus? Or will you continue to resist him and rebel against him? Because just as with Javier Hernandez, he now had an attempted murder charge. And he is serving time in prison. And that breaks my heart. And just as there will be punishments for him, there will be punishments for anyone who after committing such a heinous crime of rebellion against the king of the universe will receive the just punishment that they deserve. Separation from God forever. And so the passage reads, Jesus says in verse 49, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled I have a baptism to be baptized with. That's Jesus saying, I'm going to die a sinner's death so that you might be saved. Oh, how great my distress is until it is accomplished. And then he says this in verse 51. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? Well, he actually has. He did come to bring peace to anyone who would trust in him. But here he's saying, for those who have rejected me, do you think I came to bring peace on earth to you? No, I tell you, rather division. Far from now, or for from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against, and two against three. They will be divided father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother in law against her daughter in law, and daughter in law against mother in law. Why does he labor like that with all those relationships? You will not be ushered in because of your upbringing or because somebody good is around you. There will be households that are divided, built upon faith alone. And you must trust in Christ. Jesus goes on to say in verse 54, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower's coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? He's saying, I'm standing right before you, and you are rejecting me. I have shown you love and mercy and kindness. Why are you rejecting me? You can tell all that's happening in the world when it's going to be a heat wave and when it's going to rain, but you can't tell when the Son of Man is standing right in front of you. Oh, that we would not close our eyes and harden our hearts in this moment, but we would surrender because he says this in verse 57. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. 
What's that mean? It means deal with it now before you are brought before the judge on the final day. Because when that verdict is rendered, there will be no more dealing with it. It will be dealt with. And on that last day, readiness will be, who do you trust in? Who do you love? And I pray that you see a smiling father who says, I accept you not because you were good enough, but because you trusted in my goodness. You surrendered your life to me as the only one who can take away sin. Oh, dear friends. He's going to come again. And on that day, I want you to know this. There will be no taint of sin. There will be no selfishness or jealousy. We will perfectly want what he wants. We will be drained of all bitterness. There will be no more hurt, no hint of insecurity. He will be there in unfettered, unfiltered glory. There will be no more unmet desires, no more worry, no more depression, no more excessive consumption with ourselves. Maybe we could apply it this way. No more selfies with you as the hero. Only maybe call them goddies or something because God will always be the hero and he will wipe away every tear. He will comfort you. There will be joy ever and ever increasing because you will be with him in glory. This is what he offers to anyone who would trust in him. This is the message of salvation. Ready or not, he's coming, but he wants you ready. Surrender to him in faith and love. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would take this word and you would... Drive it into the heart and I pray that you would bring mercy upon the rebellious and you would soften their hearts and you would cause them to treasure Christ. I pray for those who are imperfect children. I pray that they would not be satisfied with just a heart that loves you, but a heart that wants to apply you to everyday life. And so, Father, please, I ask that you would help us as we take the Lord's Supper to apply these things in our hearts. And so, God, we pray that you would change us from the inside out and you would help us in these moments to follow you with our lives.